This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. Just like a head-on car accident, had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. And you can play it safe, you don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Hey, hey, it's GMAC along with Doug Brown. What do you know? The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are moving on after a gigantic victory in Regina in the Western semifinal, heading to Calgary to face off against the Stampeders. We'll look back and look forward on this edition of the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. We'll talk about Andrew Harris. See the GOAT. Is he the greatest running back all time for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Might be time to start thinking about that what are the challenges going to calgary and was that a headshot by jackson jeffcoat what does the cfl need to do to straighten that situation out and are the winnipeg blue bombers a gray cop team all that and much more a little bit of irreverence and frivolity to start things off doug all right now the man who's never had a cavity in his life <laughs> Doug Brown. Can we give some context, please? Before we even get into the podcast, can we give context for... I'm going to the dentist okay, yes. today. Yes. And you asked yes. whether I was getting a cleaning or work done. And so obviously it's a cleaning, man, because I don't get work done on my teeth. Okay? Just get them cleaned. And I said to you, I'm not surprised in any way, shape, or form that you've never had a cavity. You are a specimen inside out top to bottom it's it's just the way it is so i'm not surprised i don't have a i don't have a great cup ring but i do have a ring that says no cavity club <laughs> on it did and you get that from diamonds. your mama it's got diamonds on it and it's got a white pearly smile on it brother <laughs> more important that's rarer a no cavity club championship trophy ring rarer than a great cup ring well speaking of uh no cavities how sweet is it to beat the riders in their own barn the way the blue bombers did on Sunday. You know what? My favorite part of the whole experience, you know, you go out there and you have expectations and it's such a difficult environment for them to play in and be successful. My favorite thing about the entire experience of this game and this victory in the Western semifinal was the fact that I didn't have to experience the drive of shame on the way out of Saskatchewan. Now, a lot of people are like, whoa, what's the drive of shame? The drive of shame is the number of times uh, after Labor Day Classic, whether I was a participant, whether I was helping Bob on the broadcast team, and you got a car and you're leaving, your car has Manitoba license plates on it, and so many times you're leaving Saskatchewan and you, you kind of recline your seat a little bit, so the column, right, where the windows are separated, it's, you know, it's, so you're kind of... It's called the, the D-pillar, Doug. <laughs> it's the drive of shame. And anyway, you just don't want, you know, all the cars around you with your Saskatchewan license plates and, and all the combines in the way and all these kind of things, and, and you just don't, you don't want to make eye contact with them, and you just meekly kind of just try to disappear across the border. You got to get you got to get across the border, and then you feel you feel okay. You feel you're a little humiliated, you're a little embarrassed by what happened. You know people are pointing and snickering and looking oh, yeah. at you. And Musaman, they've they're, oh. they're they're laughing hard. But Musumin. this time, Greg rolled the windows down, sunroof open, standing up at the lights, and just you know looking around. What? 
What do you have to say? You know, proudly taking my time, doing some U-turns just because I can, you know. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was a fantastic performance. Thank God you never won a great cup. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah, people would still be hearing yeah, about it yeah, today. They you're would. right, you're right. They would. Yeah, the celebration would have never ended. But speaking of winning a great cup, mm-hmm. you know, that was, uh, that was a great playoff performance. Uh, this time of the year you know your team has to be built right to perform in these kind of conditions and uh, what a dominant display by the offensive line the run game uh, going against what was thought to be a, a very uh, vaunted defense they just got it handed to them man. and one of the most impressive moments in that entire game uh, you know the bombers are up by five late in the fourth quarter they get the ball back uh, they're nursing that lead. They're, you know, in their deep in their own territory with possession, and uh, they start their drive off first down, first and ten. Everybody in the entire province knew they're going to run that football, right? It's it's all about uh, chewing up the clock, keeping the ball secure, moving the chains if you can. First and ten. Everyone knows they're handing off to Andrew Harris straight down the pipe 10 yard pickup right that just goes to show you it doesn't even you know when a defense knows what you're going to do and you can still execute and do it anyways that displays a level of dominance that makes you very optimistic about the fortunes and future of this football team isn't that the game of football though doug to a great extent you should be able to tell on offense you should be able to go to the line of scrimmage and tell the defense what play you're going to run and run it anyways. And run it anyways. <laughs> well, not all the times. Uh, uh, column I wrote today, I, I talked about how I've been on football teams where uh, game's over and we come off the field and you're looking at the offensive linemen in your team and they're just bewildered. They're beleaguered. They have this lost, vacant look and they're like, what, what happened? What happened in the game today? They're like, they were calling out our plays before we were running them. You know, middle linebacker, I think it might have been a game against BC. Uh, Solomon was probably out there yelling out, you know, run to the left side, counterplay, speed sweet, you know, whatever. They had a guy, there were multiple games I've, I've played in where I've had offensive guys come out and say, oh my God, they knew what we were going to run. And something like that happens. For the most part, you expect, wow, you're like, well, that makes sense why you guys lost. I mean, the defense knew what you were going to do. They know how to defend it. Then half of you know the advantage an offense has against the defense is that element of surprise. We don't know what the hell you're going to do. You make your runs look like passes. You make your passes look like runs. There's play action. There's fakes. There's, you know, everything is deception and trying to get you to, to guess and guess wrong and and get you off of reading your keys and making mistakes the moment you hesitate defensively you get gashed right as long as when you can't decipher what is happening and what they're trying to do to you that's when you get exploited by an offense but so you hear this from offensive linemen you're like oh my god like are you guys a that predictable are you do you guys have these pre-snap cues or reads that people are able to pick up on you and they're you know but in this game it didn't matter like it was, uh, everyone knew, look at the conditions out there. In the Western semifinal in Saskatchewan, terrible, miserable, super cold, snow on and off. Sometimes it was blowing all over the place, dark, cold, frigid out there, slippery conditions. 
it's it's going to be run game, run game, run game. And so to be able to rush for 201 yards as a team, 153 yards on 19 carries by Andrew Harris, which equates to just over eight yards every time he touches the ball, that's inexcusable. That is, there's no better definition of how do you hand it to a defense? How do you explain that? Define handing it to a defense, a defensive personnel, rushing for 201 yards in a, in a winner type condition where they knew you're going to run the ball, where nobody was passing with any kind of effectiveness, authority, or any kind of long, probably the longest pass connected in that game. Was it even 20 yards? Who knows? But, uh, Every indication was, hey, it's run the ball time kind of thing, and you couldn't do anything about it. Can we tip our hat to Chris Trevler? Because I think that part of the success down the stretch was, yeah, just a little bit of a guessing game in terms of is Trevler going to take off with it or they're going to hand it to Harris. And I, I kudos to Paul Lapolice for going down that road and making Saskatchewan think about it just a tiny bit more about who is going to get the ball on those last on that last drive in particular. Yeah, that's that's the dilemma when when Chris Trevler is in the game is is it is he going to keep it or it's like having just two running backs back there one that happens to be able to throw the football as well. So it's really a triple threat. Scenario when Chris Strebler has the ball, Andrew Harris is in the backfield. Three things that can happen, right? Strebler can throw it, he can run, or he can hand it off to Andrew Harris. And Andrew Harris can run and or pitch it back to him, and he can throw as well. So it's uh, it really puts you in a bind, I think. And uh, you know they, they keep him honest by having him throw the ball on occasion, and uh, his sneaks. Not always north-south, middle wedges, QB sneaks. Sometimes he takes it down the line of scrimmage. And just watching him run, it's so exciting. He's such a physical runner. You just don't often get that uh, with quarterbacks that run well. This is a guy that initiates contact, looks for contact, seems to thrive off of contact. And uh, like you said, when the conditions dictated as such that it was going to be pronounced emphasis on run game running attack having those two guys back there in an extended package uh very very effective and one of the things that that was puzzling to me uh the first game when these two teams played in the labor day classic the Saskatchewan rough riders employed him three-man front and andrew harris ran all over him up and down the field i think he probably ran for 150 yards in that game as well mm-hmm. something close to it yep. uh second game uh, at the Banjo Bowl, they keyed on him, tried to take him out of the game. Uh, more four-man fronts. We saw this game, they went back to all the conditions were saying, hey, this is going to be whoever's going to win the ground game, probably going to win this game as long as there are no turnovers. They went back to a three-man front and they just got gashed. And the interesting thing about a three-man front, you got three down linemen. So that means two of your offensive linemen are going to be uncovered. Okay? That means two of your offensive linemen are getting to the second level without any problem whatsoever. They're getting a free release up to your second level. And if you're, you know, if you're three on three can occupy those guys and you got two guys already up in the, I mean, it just, the advantages, especially in the CFL with a bigger, wider field and smaller type linebackers, it is such a disadvantage to be playing against the run with a three-man front. Made no sense to me because the passing attack was not going to be a factor in this game. 
you know, if anything, they should have gone to a 5-2, sure. you know, in terms of down linemen and try and stop and take away that run game. So uh, pretty foolish, if you ask me, from the part of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You and I had uh, concerns with regards to cover teams and special teams. Saskatchewan's been demons and beasts on that. Really, the only downfall for the Blue Bombers was their kick coverage. And speaking of quarterbacks who initiate contact, Brian Bennett, the third string quarterback on the Blue Bombers, who has become a special teams demon, may have made the tackle of the year. There was a punt return at the end of the game, near the end of the game, uh, by Kyron Moore of the Riders, who had that punt return touchdown against you on the Labor Day weekend. And Brian Bennett sort of came out of nowhere and made a tackle that I know a lot of people (laughs) have emailed me and said he saved the game. I don't know if it's that dramatic or not, but talk about that play. I'm sure you've looked at it. He saved the game. Yeah? Yeah, I think think, uh, more scores if... if Really? If Bennett doesn't get him down, and um, I don't think Kyron Moore saw him. Brian came from behind a, a Saskatchewan player blocking one of our players and, and just popped out into the alley and, and brought him down pretty swiftly. But, yeah, looking at it on film, it's uh, that's a, I would say that's a touchdown and, and game-saving tackle. For as close as that game was not, the score was not indicative of the play of the game. Saskatchewan hung around purely, in my estimation, based on their return game and the fact that they were and, able and to flip two, the field. There are two pass interference calls that went back to back through. Yeah, them one in the end that zone, was right? one and one that yeah. wasn't. But anyway, we don't need to talk about that now. Yeah, it was all about, you know, for Saskatchewan when it had to be situational. We knew they couldn't drive the field. We knew they couldn't sustain drives on a long football field, especially not with Brandon bridge in there right I mean some of his throws are just like what I mean one of the first throws he had a guy open he was behind coverage and they actually got a pass interference call because that player had to stop wait come back to the ball ended up contacting the defender that was uh, underneath him and had he actually thrown that with the right amount of uh, velocity that could have been you know a, a breaker right there and he was just spraying that football all over the place. A few of his throws were okay. His only real threat was as a scrambling, you know, and uh, a guy that wanted to get out of the pocket and just use his legs. And the Bombers did lose contain on him a number of times. He did to do some damage on the ground there. But, you know, other than your only risk that the Bombers are facing that game was that the special teams of Saskatchewan was going to give Brandon Bridge a short field. And a short field is something he could manage see the end zone you know we're close we just need to make a few plays we'll have an opportunity there no way in hell that were they going to march a long field on this on this defense and on this football team and we knew special teams had to be a, a big factor and they were they got some great returns right uh, it was a big test for for the cover teams in winnipeg and if they came up short in any area in this game that was probably it and they'll have to be working on that calgary also has some very good special teams okay so before we move on to calgary can we dance on the grave of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders just a little while longer. Brandon Bridge, Zach Caleros, the two quarterbacks that were in the conversation going into this game. Caleros did not dress. Bridge did. Neither one of them has a contract going into next season. Do you expect to see either one of them in green and white next season? Well, I think Caleros, you know, making over $400,000 and you don't play in the most important game of the year. And I'm not saying, you know, he should have. I'm I'm not his doctor. I don't know what his, his diagnosis was, but he essentially had three weeks. They had a bye week the last week of the season he had three weeks off and apparently he did practice this week leading up to the game we knew 
you and I discussed this on the podcast last week, that we knew that Saskatchewan, if he could even walk, that he would be in there in order to try and throw the Blue Bombers off the scent of what was really happening. Do you think the Bombers knew that Bridge was going to be starting all along? I think they had their fingers crossed. I think they were hoping and praying he was. But yeah, Calaris is just a guy, you know, I, I wrote a, a piece about him a while ago saying he looks frail in the pocket. And I think that's really come to fruition. The, the guy is just, uh, he's not resilient anymore physically. Um, I, I think he still understands the game very well. I still think he makes great reads and understands w- what's unfolding in front of him and where to go with the football and so on and so forth. And he still has uh, a decent arm, but this is not a guy you can count on anymore physically on, on a week to week basis. And I think his time as a premier starting quarterback in the Canadian football league is over. I think if he has, if he has an opportunity going forward, I think it'll be as a backup who's making a pittance of what he's making right now, a fraction of what he's making right now, a very low percentage. Jackson Jeffcoat, obviously a very unfortunate uh, circumstance, a collision between Brandon Bridge and he on what turned out to be the second last play of the game. Was that headhunting on the part of Jackson Jeffcoat? Was that a circumstantial hit? What was your take on it? You know, for uh, it's interesting. Obviously, it was ugly, right? You see it. You see the replay. You see it slowed down. And, well, and it and, should and, be a flag, right? That, <laughs> that should be a penalty. Yeah, and that's uh, where cool. the discussion comes up with Randy Ambrosi, the CFL commissioner, how he's going to try and empower their commander review center for calls like that where it was missed, where the officials were blocked by players. They weren't. They didn't have vision on it or whatever, and it was so deliberate and so obvious that they should retroactively be able to call uh, a penalty i don't think that would have mattered in terms of the outcome of the game just would have put them 15 yards closer for their uh, inevitable hail mary play um as time was already expiring anyways but as a defensive player you know when you're running around you're chasing a guy and he's scrambling and when you get exhausted it's the end of a game i've been guilty of this myself and you're chasing a guy and the play is going on and you're running all around and you're exhausted and you finally get to him form kind of goes out the window i'm not excusing his actions right no one knows what his intention is other than jackson jeffcoat um we all know it was wrong what happened we all know it was a penalty but i can tell you this as a former defensive lineman you know you when you're when you're strung out like that and you're you're exhausted and you're you know form just goes out the window you know form tackling what you're just happy you're finally there and uh you know it, it takes it's a lot easier just to, to bang a guy in the head and drop him that way than to form tackle someone put your head to the side bend your knees get around his waist so on and so forth <clears throat> it's uh you know it's just as they say technique goes out the window when when you're fatigued or you're tired and uh you know it's uh, it's not an excuse it's just the reality of the position and probably the circumstance that he was in i can guarantee brandon bridge isn't going through the gauntlet standing straight up like that either in practice that's no way to go through a, a tackling or a hitting drill he's he's going to be want to be down in a little bit more of a crouching position as well. His form and his running, he was standing straight up. You never well, he was releasing the football too, right? So. Uh, well, I guess he was, but it, it, it just looked like neither one of those players anticipated being where they yeah. ended up meeting at exactly the same time. And once again, not trying to let Jeff Coat off the hook, but 
that should have been called. Uh, but I, you know, their malicious intent, uh, like you say, you can't get inside a guy's head. But uh, malicious, I, I, I don't think it was there. I might have felt differently if it was a Saskatchewan player, or Charleston Hughes, say on Matt Nichols. But we move on. Going to Calgary, the Stampeders have been uh, sitting for a while, and I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, don't football players like playing every week? How do you feel about that? Yeah, the you know, they do like playing every week. And you get like getting momentum and getting on a roll and, and such. Um, but Calgary was really banged up, right? So for them, this was opportune. I mean, they went into BC that last regular season game of the year and were like, yeah, we need to take care of our business. We need that bye week. We need that extra time to get back to being our dominant selves. We want to play at home. Does the two weeks off give them any edge? Well, I mean, you, you, they probably start by, you know, having a couple practices against uh, each team. You know what I mean? They would prepare for, for both sides. And then they can, once the, the, the final is set, they, they narrow it down to what they want to do. But it certainly allows them to get healthier and allows them to work on a few things that they'd like to work on. And possibly, you know, a few wrinkles that they think they could have had against each team that they could have faced. So, um Anytime you give uh, more time to a, to a, a team like that and to a, a, a well-coached team um, like Dave coaches them, um, they're going to have something a little different for you. Very tough place to go into and uh, and win a game. I mean, this would essentially be beating Calgary back-to-back scenarios. So, uh, you know, the gauntlet is thrown down there for you. The deck is stacked against you. So it's a difficult scenario. I think... The biggest thing that concerns me about this game going into Calgary in this scenario is that the weather is going to be too good. That is honestly, I mean, I look at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and I'm like, oh my God, this is a playoff built winter condition type team where, you know, what have they thrown for 300 yards one time this entire regular season, right? They're not a shootout team. They're not a, I mean... They have scored a lot of points, but they're not an over-the-top, vertical, stretch you, you know, home run hitting offense. You know, they're methodical, they're dynamic, they're multiple, they're all these things, but they're not taking big shots on the regular kind of offense like Calgary is. And I would much rather have the same conditions that we saw in Saskatchewan. In Calgary, I'd be a lot more excited about that game if that's what we're going to see, it looks like it's going to be flipped maybe 25 degrees for these guys, if not 20. And the more ideal the conditions are, the more I think that favors Calgary because they are a big home run hitting team and they are going to be at home, you know, but who knows? Uh, This football team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are on a heck of a roll right now. They're the best team in this final third of the, the CFL regular season. They had a tremendous victory in Saskatchewan where even if Brandon Bridge is your starting quarterback, not an easy place to play. Um, to weather the storm, to execute, to come out successful. They got a lot going for their football team right now. But wow, is this ever a hard, difficult path to get to the Grey Cup? And uh, if they're successful against Calgary, man, do they ever earn it. Man, do they ever earn that opportunity, that right to compete for a championship because nobody else will have gone through the gauntlet like they, like they have if they get there. They will definitely have to play better than we did against Saskatchewan. The good thing is the players all recognize that we can be better. We didn't play clean enough. We had five penalties for 96 yards, which is uh, the, the, the penalty numbers 
kind of okay, um, but the yardage was was a killer. You know, we we need to score more points, obviously, better across the board on special teams uh, with our field position, an overall cleaner game. You know, there's a couple mistakes that they didn't capital that, that we had on defense that they didn't capitalize on. So, you're going into Calgary uh, against a team that's always around 13 or so wins, and they've been sort of the model of consistency on the high end of the CFL for a number of years, and it's going to be uh, a tough grind, obviously, and probably a very close game, and uh, we have to play, obviously, as physical as we can, but we have to play a clean game also with great ball security and and do everything we can to take the ball away from them did, like, like we did the last time we played them. They deserve this? Are they a team that deserves to be in the Grey Cup? Do they have the talent that's required? Do they have the key cohesiveness? Yeah, anything I, you're looking for? I don't think deserve has anything to do with it. Unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of are teams, they full? Okay, how about this? If they, <laughs> I think the if, franchise certainly deserves to win another championship, but that hasn't happened in 30 years. So, if they get to Edmonton and are playing November 25th, are they full marks? They haven't backed in here. Well, a lot of people think they're the you know the best, the most complete. I still think they're probably the most balanced team the most complete team in the CFL Calgary's pretty balanced too people have have really gone off soured on Calgary just with the way they finished the regular season but if that team is uh, within a shadow of its former self in terms of how they're doing health wise they are a scary formidable opponent and uh, I don't doubt the the opportunity for for Winnipeg and and their their chances I think they have a very good shot of winning this game but this is a heck of a challenge and the bar got raised and the the challenge just got bigger and more difficult going into carry second road game on a, a team you know what do they have 13 wins now on the season right so they went from a 12 win team to a 13 win team that's uh that's a big uh that's a big mountain to uh to summit for this football club and uh yeah i mean who else would deserve a championship you can make it through that gauntlet and come out on the other side with the sun shining so one question did you book November 26th off <laughs> from your day job? <laughs> Did I book it? Well, uh, you know, that Sunday, it, it's a Sunday, so I, I will not be but, working but either do, way. Do but you have the Monday? You know what? The, no, the hey, Grey Cup is on the 25th. There's one thing I've Monday learned. Monday is the 26th. Have you booked no. that day off one from your I've other job? One thing i about this from this football team <clears throat> I we I just want to go one and zero this weekend, Greg. That's all I want to do. Okay, I want to go out there. I want to the go out there with Bob. Tonight. I want to go out there with Bob. Go to Calgary, get there Saturday. You know, and I just want to win the week, and we'll worry about the week after that if we go one and zero this week. That's all I have to say. That is so weak. That's such a weak <laughs> answer. But you know what? I have to. Respect it's there it. for me. It's there for me, right? <laughs> it's just been presented to me for twenty something weeks now. So. I've bought in. We're going to go with the flow. And uh, either way, we'll see you at least one more time on the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. It's Greg Mackling saying we out of here. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.